So today we're starting a new series um, called The Sabotage of Sin. The Sabotage of Sin. And it's really based off of Romans chapter 7 when Paul starts wrestling with wanting to do good but being unable to do good because he seems like he always does bad. We're all familiar with that verse. And the truth is every one of us battle the same thing, right? We wrestle with ourselves because we want to do good so bad. But we do bad so good. And so we just wrestle back and forth on what are we supposed to do. Um, I, I want to read it to you. It, it is out of the message translation. It's because I like the way it's interpreted in that version. Uh, it's Romans 7, 17 through 20. But I need something more, writes Paul. For if I know the law but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but when I don't really do it, I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. Let's pray. God, thank you this morning for what you've done in our lives, what brought us here to this moment. And this, God, as we have come together this morning with one expectation, that's to hear from you. God, I pray that you will flow freely this morning. God, whatever is sabotaged our emotions coming in this morning, Lord, we pray that it be laid at your feet as you begin to work in our lives. Help us to see the secret things that we think no one else can see, but you do. And help us to root all these things out of our lives. And so today, God, we ask that you honestly assess, uh, assess us, God, as you begin to work in our life. We're so thankful for who you are and what you do. And we give you glory in Christ's name. Amen. So sabotage. Um, sabotage is when, we when something deliberately tries to throw us off course, right? Uh, something deliberately throws us away from what we're trying to do. And I don't know if you've ever been a part of being the one who sabotages or in the aftermath of something that has sabotaged you. But it is a very uncomfortable feeling whether you're in the midst of it or you're the product of sabotage. And so I, as I think about what sabotage means, um, it takes me back to when I was deployed back in 2004. Um, one of the things that was really big in this deployment was that they wanted to make sure that they invested money into local communities. This was what our leaders wanted to do. And so as a result, uh, they would do projects like build a playground uh, at a school, uh, which would always get intercepted by some terrorists who would then start shooting at innocent kids. And, and they would always try to do something to invest into the community. And one of the things that they would do is they hired laborers for our, uh, for our compound. And so I, I will never forget one guy in particular. They hired him, and his job was to be the, the one who would sew stuff for us. And he was posted right outside of the chapel, and we were in a building that was very similar to the width of this, but just longer. It, was like, it, looks like a, it looked like an aluminum chicken house, and, and inside of it, we had a tent that was perched up for the chapel, and everything was divided off in that way. So right outside of the tent of the chapel... Where was this guy was set up, and he would sew on patches, or if something happened to your uniform, he would fix it for you. And that was his job there. Well, being outside of the chapel, we obviously kind of forged uh, at least some sort of relationship of getting to know him, and he would talk about his family, and we, and we would just have this conversation. One, it's because he was one of the few Iraqis who could speak English. And so we would conversate with him, and uh, I remember through this friendship that we forged, he would bring us things that we didn't have access to so easy. 
when you have to de- rely on people to send you stuff, uh, everything's not fresh. And I remember the biggest craving I had there was pickles. Uh, at that time, I was pregnant. And so I thought, pickles, I wasn't. But, you know, I just wanted something different. And so I asked the guy, I said, Ben, is there any way you could get me pickles? And he's like, yeah, I'll get you pickles. And, and so just a few days later, he came in with this big jar of homemade pickles. And I remember the first bite I took of one, I was like, man, this is what I've been craving. And then someone reminded me that they don't have toilet paper and what they do with their left hand. And I thought, I, I can't eat these any longer. Um, that's all I think about as I'm trying to take a bite of the pickle is he didn't wash his hands. And so, but we enforced this relationship. After several months went by, I remember he didn't show up anymore. And you know, over there, when you don't show up, sometimes it means that they got to you. And a lot of times they'll kill those, them for having a relationship with Americans. And so uh, we asked a sergeant who was over all this and said, hey, what happened to uh, this guy? He's like, oh, you won't believe this. We called him one day. He was stepping off on our little helipad, uh, marking his steps. And, and, he, and we, we thought that was crazy. But what, he was, what would happen every night, always, every single night, would rain in like 20 mortars. And you would get in a shelter, and you would stay there for about an hour, and you would come out. So this guy, whether it was of his own choosing or whether he was being forced, was in there stepping off and trying to get the steps counted for them to fire the mortars in. And they caught him doing it, and they kicked him off of our compound. And just a few days later, sure enough, mortars landed right there on our helicopter pad, which was small, and thankfully we didn't store helicopters there, but it landed there. And I thought, this is crazy. We forged a friendship with this guy. We knew about his family. And here he was with one purpose, was to sabotage all of us. Like, his only desire was for us to be dead, and we thought he really cared. Like, sabotage is such an uncomfortable feeling. Whether you've been sabotaged by a friend where they stabbed you in the back, or you were sabotaged by someone at work where they set you up, anytime someone deliberately tries to do that to you, it's a very uncomfortable feeling. When I think about it in relation to what Paul is going through, I understand exactly what he's facing. Because I want to do good so bad, but man, I do bad so good. And I wrestle with those things. And I come to this realization every time that I give in to doing the wrong thing, the guilt that I feel is the repercussions of the sabotage that he had just done to my life. As friendly as things may appear, as appealing and beautiful as it is, everything that happens as a result of sin is sabotaging the best intentions that we have. The whole purpose of sin is to sabotage our lives because the wages of sin is death. And so when we begin to understand, though it may feel right in the moment, what sin does to us, it begins to make sense that we should push it away from us. It makes sense that we would have the struggle of feeling, man, I know this wants to destroy me, but man, I love it so much. It's the struggle that we all have. But in order to understand it, I want to take you back to the very beginning of everything. And I want you to see the intent of sin on the life of humanity. If you didn't know it, then I hope you leave here knowing that sin's author is Satan himself. The very introduction of sin into humanity was from Satan. But you ask yourself the question, Why would he want us to sin against our creator? And what led him to where he is? If you would turn with me, we'll be in Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28, verse 1. 
11 through 19. And I'll set it up for you, but when we read this, you're going to see this portion labeled towards what Ezekiel calls the king of Tyre. But what he's really speaking to is the power behind the king. See, the king of Tyre had made this bold proclamation that he was a god, lowercase g. And he wanted to be treated as such. And we know where that mentality comes from. That mentality comes from Satan. So Ezekiel didn't even prophesy to the king. He prophesied to the one who empowered him. And so when we read this, though it's addressed to the king of uh, Tyre, it's actually the prophecy from God directly to um, Satan. Let's read this. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord, You are the signet of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, sardius, topaz, and diamond, uh, burrell, oxen, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle, which is gold. And crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of these stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. And so I cast you out as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of the fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. By the multitude of your iniquities and, your, and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuary. So I brought fire out from your midst. It consumed you, and I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who, all who saw you. All who knew you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be, uh, be no more forever. So Ezekiel is, is conveying the punishment of God, but he's admonishing the power behind the king of Tyre, which is Satan himself. But when we read this, we see the beauty of Satan, which is described by this prophecy of Ezekiel. We see that he was a created angel, an anointed cherub. And in the structure of angels, cherub seems to be indicated throughout Scripture as the top tier of all the angels. And so here he was, one of the top created angels. He was a leader, and he was in fellowship with our Creator. And some of you probably picked this up. Your translation may have articulated it a little better, but um, he was the supreme musician of all of heaven. He was probably the choir director for the, angel, the angelic host as they would sing praises to God. He was the supreme being of God's creation, and he was the beauty of all of heaven. God said in that prophecy that he sealed it up. He was the sum of all of God's perfection and his music was beyond comprehension. And then, then in, the, in the midst of perfection and before the creation of the earth, there was unrighteousness found in Satan. And so you may say, what, what was found in Satan? Let me read something quick to you from Isaiah 14. How are you fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn? How... 
you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the, uh, the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. We find that the reason that he was cast out, though he was beautiful, though he was the leader, seeming to be seemingly one of the top, if not the top angel out of all the heavenly hosts, but something snuck into his life, and that was pride. If you'll notice, in that short few verses there, five times there's an I will statement. I will ascend to your throne. I will put myself over you. I will, I will, I will. Those are statements of pride. And we all struggle with those. Somebody tells you you can't do something, you say, I will. I will do it. And Satan, somewhere along in his created being, decided that he was who should be the ruler of the atmosphere, not God. And so pride came in, and, and as he wanted to rise above God, he wanted to kick God off his throne so he could rule the universe. But God cast Satan out of heaven. And by all indications, God didn't just go, will you please leave out this exit over here? Jesus in Luke 10 says that it looked like lightning striking out of the sky is what it looked like when God kicked him out of heaven. That description lets us know that what God did was definite and intentional. That God didn't ask him to leave, that God cast him down to the earth. As a result of God casting him down to the earth, Satan, who had some sort of influence on others, Revelation chapter 12 tells us in the description of a dragon, says, as the dragon went to the earth, his tail took a third of the stars with him. It's not talking about literal stars. It's talking about he took a third of the angels with him. And so Satan was cast out because of his pride. And in that moment, sin was created. Until then, perfection was the only thing that existed. And sin was created in that moment. And sin from that time till this moment we are in has done nothing but sabotage. Satan sabotaged a third of the heavenly host. And as we'll continue today, we'll see that he sabotages us even today. Have you ever wondered why God wouldn't just wipe Satan completely out of existence, right? I ask myself that question many times. If God can speak him to existence, he can also speak him to being completely wiped out of our memories. So I go, God, why wouldn't you just wipe sin out? He was in the embodiment of sin. Wipe him out. I believe God allowed this rebellion to run right out to the end. Until it runs out of gas. And, and, and in that he shows all beings and all creatures for all time. That all avenues put together could never dethrone God. He's given him all the time from the beginning of this. And he gives him even an additional thousand years after the rapture. A thousand and seven years to be completely honest. He gives him all this time. He allows Satan to work. He, get, he puts some limitations on it, but he has a lot of freedom. And in the end, we find that God himself doesn't even come off his throne to cast him into the final hell. That God speaks it and an angel comes and does it. And so God has not wiped him out because he wants to make sure when we stand before him that we know there's nothing, no one, not even some power that we think is, it has some kind of capabilities of it. He wants us to know nothing can dethrone him.
No matter what ploys they have, the avenues they try to take, even if it means sabotage in humanity, nothing can dethrone God from where he's supposed to be. And so that's kind of a brief history of Satan. You're probably thinking, well, well, why do we need to know that? Why do we need to know about him? Because you need to understand the origin of sin if you want to know how it sabotages your life. If you were involved in athletics, if you would remember when you got ready for the game, you always watch game film of the other team. And it was so you could know what they might use against you. And so it's important that you know the origin of sin so you understand why it's being used against you and how to combat it when it does come against you. So he's the first to sin and today we suffer because of his sabotage on humanity. Sin is an immoral act against the divine law of God or simply when we are disobedient to the command that God has given us. That's what sin is. If God tells us to do it and we don't, it's sin. That's the simplest way to understand it. Um, So this beautiful angel is first seen in scripture as a slithering snake, a reprehensible animal. We have this beautiful picture of him covered in all these stones. He is the embodiment of perfection is how we describe him at the beginning. Our first encounter with him as humans, we read about him. He's some slithering, slimy, manipulative snake. How the mighty fall so quick, right? He wanted to make God sad and regretful of Uh, his creation so he decided he was going to sabotage all of humanity and he told Eve that that God didn't want her to eat of the tree because God didn't want her like him right the same thing the same lie he told to himself was a lie that he began to spread about God well no he doesn't want you to eat of the tree because he doesn't want you to know anything like he knows he don't want you to then rise up and take his throne and so Eve bought the lie and so Eve did not become like God in that sin. She actually took upon the initial pride that ushered sin into her life to take root. And there was such a thrill with it that she brought it right to uh, Adam and said, you got to do this, Adam. This is so good. In that moment, sin was birthed in humanity. And what Satan hoped to accomplish, he did accomplish. The eternal people that God had created for his His glory had now been sabotaged. And sin, the very thing that God can't even be in the company of, had now taken root in the life of his creation. And so now our lives are impacted by what we know as inherited sin. All right, I'm going to talk to you about three different types of sin. There's inherited sin, and it's it's just like if you inherit something from your family. Right, when you're born, you inherit characteristics, physical, sometimes emotional characteristics of your family. When we're born into our human nature, we inherit from Adam that sin nature, meaning that I have a disposition to sin naturally, right? It's why when a kid is born and when they start talking, some of the first things that come out of their mouth are lies, and you're like, I never even taught them how to do that. You didn't have to. They inherited that through their sin nature. And so inherited sin has affected each and every one of us. So you're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. You were born with inherited sin, therefore you're, you're going to sin. That makes you a sinner. Not because you do sin, but because you're born in sin. And so all of us are sabotaged by inherited sin. The sabotage and the separation, or excuse me, sabotage is the separation from God and with Satan. And so that's his plan, is that we are accompanying him because he doesn't want us with God and so he sabotages our life and so now we face each day the struggle to overcome the sabotage 
upon our lives. And, and so to combat that, there's another term of sin that we uh, use called imputed sin. Imputed sin. And so this Greek word imputed means to take something that belongs to someone else and credit it to someone else's account, right? Imputed sin for us even goes back to Adam. Like his decision, Eve's decision, that was imputed upon us, right? That even though in the Old Testament before the law, what they faced was inherited and imputed sin. They didn't know right from wrong as was laid out as Moses did in the future, but what they had in their life was inherited and imputed sin. The beautiful thing about imputing, uh, imputed sin is imputing is that God chose to take this very thing that destroyed us, sabotaged our lives, and he imputed the sin of believers to the account of Jesus Christ, who paid that penalty, which was sin, death, and ultimately he did that on the cross. Imputing our sins to Jesus, God treated him as if he were a sinner, though he was not, and had him to die for the sins of the entire world. Inherited sin, we're born with it. Imputed sin means that it was placed upon us through the mistakes of Adam and Eve. But the beautiful thing about imputed sin is God did the very same thing that sabotaged our life. He imputed that upon Jesus. And it's important for us to understand that, that sin was imputed upon Jesus. But he did not have inherited sin from Adam. He bore the penalty of sin, but he never became a sinner. Uh, his pure and perfect nature was untouched by sin. He was treated as though he were guilty of all the sins ever committed by the human race, even though he committed none. In exchange, God imputed on us his righteousness. And so that's been credited to our accounts as his righteousness, just as, it, just as if we were righteous ourselves. Christ had imputed upon him our sins. In exchange, God imputed upon us his righteousness, we call this grace because we don't deserve it. And that's how we're able to escape that. And so thus the battle with the sabotage of sin takes place in our life. My inherited nature wants me to do bad. The imputed righteousness within me wants me to do good. And it takes us back to that original, that original verse that we read. And this is where Paul was struggling. But I need something more. For if I know the law, but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in action. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. The struggle he is having is with personal sin. That's the third one. Inherited sin, we get that from being born. Imputed sin is because of what happened with Adam and Eve. Personal sin is the decisions that each, each one of us make every single day. Personal sin. That's the struggle that Paul's having. Is, I don't even know what to, like I want to do good, but personal sin is drawing me. And personal sin is such a wide array of things. It can be as simple as an innocent lie all the way up to murder. And everything in between is what personal sin is. And, and so we need help. And the reason Paul says I need help is because we can't overcome the punishment of sin by ourselves. If we could, every one of us would be sitting here today free from the punishment of sin, but we can't. And we know that a just God who lives up to everything he says, when he says that he is going to ensure that the wages of sin, that the price for the sin in our life is paid for with death, he is going to make sure that happens. 
And so every one of us are left with a state crying out, I need help because I can't do it by myself. Like when I want to do it by myself, I always do bad. And so I need help because my disposition is this sin that is just sabotaging my life. And it appears as though when we see all the sin that encompasses a human, we think Satan's plan to sabotage us is impossible to overcome. We have inherited sin to battle. We have imputed sin to battle. We have personal sin to battle. And this sin has sabotaged our lives. Now the next three weeks we're going to talk about how sin has sabotaged us spiritually, emotionally, and physically. But I want you to know this this morning that all is not hopeless. Believers have been freed from the eternal penalty of sin, which is hell and spiritual death. But now we also have the power of resisting sin. The beautiful thing about Jesus paying the price for us is he didn't then just leave us behind to try to fight battles on our own. That he promised that though he's leaving, he will leave someone with us. And we understand that as the, as within the triune God is the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit inside of us that dwells with us, that sanctifies us. He convicts us of our sins. When we do commit them, he lets us know the route that we're on. And when things begin to sabotage my life, he's the one that brings that to my mind. Because sinning feels so good. If someone doesn't tell me I'm doing wrong, then in my body it feels right. But the Holy Spirit says, you, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't have done that. I know that lie got you out of that situation, but there's more that comes with it now, and there's repercussions, and, and now that sabotages whatever you want to do in the future because that lie has already taken place. And so believers, we've been freed from that. Once we confess our personal sins to God and, and we ask forgiveness for them, we are restored into perfect fellowship and communion with Him. Uh, in First John it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have been given an opportunity to be freed from the sin that sabotages our life. And this morning, if you have not surrendered your life to Christ, as fun as it all may seem, it's actually sabotaging you. The helpless and hopeless feelings that you face is the sabotage of sin. The inner struggle that you suppress with other objects is the sabotage of sin. The guilt you feel in the aftermath of unfruitful relationships is the sabotage of sin. And the pride that makes you believe that you're in control of your life is the sabotage of sin. From the very onset of the beginning of sin, pride was the root of it. And today the reason that sin continues to sabotage our lives is because we think we can control it. And that same pride is sabotaging us even today. That same pride doesn't just extend to unbelievers, it ex extends to believers alike. When we go through things and we don't ask for help, it's the sabotage of sin that's destroying us. When we face circumstances and we don't hit our knees, instead we hit the button on the internet, we find real quickly that that's the sabotage of sin in our life. Sin is sabotaging us. But God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to our rescue. And, and when you call out for help, he transforms your life. Sin no longer sabotages you, but rather God has replaced the sabotage with unmerited favor, or as we know at best, grace. Sabotage doesn't control you anymore. The sabotage of sin isn't playing out your future. God is playing out your future. And this morning, whatever is controlling you, whatever you think you can overcome, is a lie that Satan has birthed from the very beginning of time.
Oh, you can bump God off there, but the sabotage is destroying you. You can believe everything you want to believe, but one day we give an account for those things. And I don't want the results of sabotage, which is eternal separation from God, to be the outcome for something that I'm facing. Sin no longer sabotages you if you call for help. Because God loves us so much, He comes in and transforms our life. And what used to be the driving force in us that was really sabotaging us is replaced by His Holy Spirit. That though you deserve death, which is the price of sin, He paid that so you can have eternal fellowship with Him. And you're no longer a slave because you have been freed by the acts of God. Dan, I'm going to invite them up to, to play a song as I close. I want to read one last thing. You know, you read that, and it's really kind of a struggle. I go, man, Paul is going through some stuff. And if you read the rest of the chapter, he doesn't offer much of a solution. But if you were to go over to chapter 8, I want to read it to you. Paul addresses this struggle in chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. He says, with the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, the fateful dilemma is resolved. Don't you love that? That inner struggle that we have, the sabotaging sin that makes us feel all these different ways. He says, with the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that fateful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ's being here for us no longer have to live under a conscientious, low-lying black cloud. A new power is in, op in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently, magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. God went for the juggler when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. In his son Jesus, he personally took on the human condition, entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. The law code, weakened as it always was by the fractured human nature, could never have done that. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid on sin instead of a deep healing of it. And now, what the law code asks for but we couldn't deliver is accomplished as we, instead of redoubling our own efforts, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. Don't let the lies Satan told you continue. Don't let sin sabotage your life any longer. Embrace what God wants to do in your life this morning. And believers, though the enemy is so good at deceiving us, don't believe the lies. He wants to sabotage your life. His whole purpose is to ensure that as many people as he can drag with him, he's taking with him. Don't allow him to sabotage your life with sin. But God is overcome. You're not controlled by his fate any longer. Live free. Live in the spirit. That has removed the sabotage of sin from your life. Let's pray. God, thank you this morning for the beauty of who you are. That you looked at a broken humanity. And didn't do something from far away. You entered into the chaos. So that the things that were sabotaging us could be shut down. And the things that were feeling good but destroying us could be wiped away. And God, today, every single one of us have the choice through you, to no longer let sabotage define our future. Today, God, I pray for each and every person here, whether they 
be the one who hasn't surrendered to Christ yet to allow him to enter into their life. Or, or maybe they're here and they say, I've been a Christian for so long, but I've been so hopeless because sin has continued to sabotage me. God, I pray for them this morning. And this morning, if you're here, as everyone's head bowed and eyes are closed, I want to give you that chance. You say, sin is sabotaging me. Like, I can't find a happiness because it's destroying my life. I'm going to give you that chance this morning to come down, to make that public step in front of the face of Satan and say, you don't control me any longer. And to embrace the Spirit and allow Him to be the thing that directs your life and not the sin that's sabotaging you. While they play this morning, I want you to know the altar is open. I'm here to pray with you. Uh, and I would love for you to come forward and have that breakthrough moment. <laughs>